Hi, I'm Julie Ross. And I'm Gregory Abbey. And you're listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Julie is a longtime parent educator and counselor. And Greg is an actor, writer, and director, and more importantly, a parent just like you. Through conversations covering a range of different topics, challenges, and roadblocks, we hope to give you a few of Julie's tools that might just help make parenting a little bit easier. Look, nobody's perfect, and parenting is challenging, to say the least. With a few skills under our belts, though, we might just be able to be good enough parents and enjoy the journey and our children a little bit more in the process. So welcome to the Parenting Horizons podcast. Today we are going to talk about kids, your kids, our kids, and weight, uh, weight issues, food, food issues. It's a pretty broad topic. And we're lucky enough today to have someone joining us uh, to help us with this discussion. And Julie, if you don't mind just introducing her briefly. Sure. Well, I'll introduce her in terms of her name, and then she can introduce her credentials. I think that's probably the best way to go. Uh, We're very pleased to have Amy Bernstein with us today. And the reason that we asked Amy on the podcast, and then I want you to introduce yourself, but the reason that we asked Amy on the podcast was because I got a question in a group recently that I run about how much, if anything, should you say if you notice that your child has gained or lost weight. So Amy and I got to talking about that, and Amy has a a very deep bench with regard to, you know, body image issues and eating and disordered eating and eating disorders and the whole thing. And I thought it would be just great um, to have her come on. So Amy, if you don't mind introducing yourself. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So yes, my name is Amy Bernstein. I'm a psychotherapist in private practice in New York City and in Westchester, working remotely during the pandemic. I have a lot of training in body-oriented treatment methods. So I really help people become embodied, inhabit their bodies. I work a lot with trauma survivors. I work with people who are overcoming addiction, Mm. eating disorders, helping them really live in their bodies. Yeah, I work with a lot of parents. I work mostly with adults. I do see some adolescents and I have a child. And this is something that all of us live in our culture, right? Is is Uh weight issues body image issues. It's everywhere. It just is sort of part of the fabric. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm sure we'll touch on this too, but I have a 13-year-old, 16-year-old, and 21-year-old, and the advent of social media, which obviously has been around, which is really kind of upticking though, especially with TikTok. And I mean, that's always been pervasive, whether it's the magazine covers or the images that are getting projected to children. And, And maybe I'm off, but it does feel like, wow, more than ever, that's so prevalent now. I, I mean, maybe because my eighth grader is around more, but I feel like this TikTok thing has become really, really big in terms of that kind of content they're digesting in terms of looks and clothes and all of that stuff. So we can get into that a little bit. Just as an avenue into starting this, you know, Julie and I, we were talking, and can you kind of share what your client maybe was struggling with? with her own child as a kind of real world example that maybe can lead us into a discussion of some of these issues? Sure. Um, Well, her daughter recently uh, lost a a lot of weight over the summer at camp and the parents noticed and commented about it. And the daughter said, you know, I feel really good Mm -hmm. about myself. I I like the way I look this way. So the parents 
quite rightly, I think, began to wonder if there was, you know, I mean, how the weight loss happened. Was it just that she was super physical at camp? Which did she not eat? You know, what was really going on there? And one of the things that I'm I'm seeing that also seems to be playing a part in this is that vaping is an appetite suppressant. So there are kids who are having difficulty maintaining a weight, but a lot of them like it. And so, you know, between the fact that vaping is a highly addictive substance itself and the fact that they're getting kind of positive feedback, and I'm talking about boys and girls alike here, they're getting positive feedback about, hey, you look great, you, you know, you've lost weight, blah, blah, blah. I think, it's, I think it's a problem. And as you said, Greg, TikTok and, you know, and, those, and the social media especially plays into it. I was kind of wondering, um, though, if Amy could start us off by, my daughter has a, a two-year-old. So a question that I have is like, and, and by the way, I think she's doing a terrific job around food and eating, and she's just, I mean, with this kid, and I mean, he, he's super healthy. But I wonder if there is an attitude that parents can start with, uh, with regard to how they look at eating, how they look at their child's body type, which may be different from theirs, how they filter the, the messages that come in from society, you know, in a way to kind of set everything up for success. Yeah, I love that question. Because if we back way up, right, we th we're thinking about, when we're talking about body image and we're talking mm. about weight, we're talking about just a just an aspect of who we are, which is mm -hmm. really an image. And if we think about bodies, if we think about the bodies that we live in, the bodies that we inhabit, you know, our bodies are miraculous, right? If you think about what our bodies right. do, how they self-heal, they create life, right? We can like literally mm -hmm. grow human beings inside of our bodies. Everything that we experience in our lives, we experience by way of our bodies. And so I always have to wonder why we reduce ourselves to an image that mm -hmm. becomes this, this mark of who we are. Like it sort of represents right. who we are. It, 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 and that just fundamentally feels so disrespectful to, to, to our bodies, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then what, what's tied to our bodies is you know our inner world. It's like our self-regard. And if you think about a two-year-old, right, Julie, your granddaughter, yeah, most two-year-olds are so fully embodied. It's like they just, when they laugh, 100%. when they cry, it's just this like full body right. experience. You know exactly what they're going through, what they're thinking. And over time, we, we lose that. We lose connection with our bodies. We become more, you know, it's like we... We, we know how people are looking at us. We right. know how we're start, seen. Yeah, you start to put on your own restrictions. I remember in acting school that they, when we were talking about voice and breath, the teachers would literally say, watch a child because they don't think about it. They don't have any societal restrictions yet. And their breathing is the most natural of anyone because they don't have that stuff that starts to get put on, whether by themselves or by friends or by society. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And, and and if you watch kids eat, they eat mm. so intuitively, you know, mm -hmm. they might eat only rice for like four days and then only vegetables for like three days. You know, they 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 mm. they get what they need intuitively. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is another mm. thing that we lose. And so I always think about you want to 
set up this positive self-regard for your whole self, right? Mm. And um, including your bodies and like listening Mm -hmm. to your bodies. Are you tired? Is it time to go to bed? Have you had enough? Are you hungry? Mm. Are you thirsty? Like really being able to tune in to yourselves. And, And a lot of this starts with parents, right? I mean... How many of us have, I don't think you can grow up in this culture and not have biases about weight and about food. There's good foods, bad foods, healthy foods, right? And so we all have work to do around this to, you know, the extent is individual. And really, I always suggest to people not talking about weight, not talking about bodies, but rather talking about behaviors, right? If you're concerned about something, you want to look at, look at behaviors, so what do you mean? So like if we take this example of a, a young woman that's come home from camp and she's lost a lot of weight and these parents maybe are concerned about the what or the why, how do you, you know, what would you tell a parent that comes to you and says, hey, I'm really concerned about this. How do you approach a situation by that? And what do you mean when you say instead of talking about weight, you talk about behaviors? Right. So so I would I would say, well, what how is this child eating? You know, are they skipping meals? Are they eating in a very methodical way where they're pushing food around their plate or they're eliminating food groups or like certain types of food, certain colors of food, things that have a certain ingredient? Are they reading nutrition labels, you know, in a Mm -hmm. way that feels obsessive or how does exercise Mm. play in? So how how are they how are they relating to their eating? What are you what are you seeing? And that's a conversation you could have with the child. You mean as opposed to saying talking about their literal weight and how much they've gained or lost, you either as the therapist or if a parent has come to you, you would ask a parent to you know, and Julie always talks about tell me more and be curious that you would explore in a conversation with them about their behaviors around eating if you're concerned. That's what you would say like, "Well, hey, w- what are you eating or what did you eat at camp?" and is that is that the idea? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would actually before I mean, I would be curious mm. with the parents before bringing the kid in on it. I would I would wonder from the parents, what are you seeing? Like what? OK, so you're concerned about the weight loss. Are there is there anything else you're concerned about? Are they preoccupied with weight? Are they asking for a scale? Are they weighing themselves every day, multiple times a day? Do you notice that they're going to the bathroom mm. after they eat? Is there food missing? And so. That's where I would start is to is to to focus on behaviors rather than because our weight fluctuates a lot over our lives, especially until we're adults and then into adulthood, really. Our bodies fluctuate. And so sometimes fluctuations are normal, including, you know, kids mm-hmm, go through mm-hmm. puberty. It's like they they get larger and then they get smaller sometimes. Not everyone, but some of these are normal fluctuations. But when there's concern, I would look at behaviors. And then on the flip side of that, there are people that look completely normal, who have very disordered eating, who are like binging and purging. There are people who are overweight who are restricting their food in- intake. And so weight only tells us so much. Okay, so you know, let's say a parent does notice behaviors that are different. The child's going, uh, whatever, the child's going to the bathroom after they eat with regularity. The child is pushing food around the plate. The child's only eating lettuce, you know. How how do you feel, what is the best way for the parent to address that with the child? It's a really good question. I always advise getting support from professionals. 
Like if, if you really see a, a problem, because this is, it's something that is so hard. It's so hard and it's so deep. And with food, it's like, it's very complicated. So I always encourage people to find, finding a therapist who's, who's eating disorder informed. You know, it, it's a, it, it really is a specialty and they can help. They can help with the conversations. The other thing I was thinking, I'm thinking about as I'm listening to you, and I think what makes this so complex as a parent trying to deal with their own child, and you kind of talked about this in the kind of bullet points you sent us. And Julie and I talk about this a lot in all of the episodes is parents getting clarity around maybe their own issues before talking to their kids and what they're bringing to it. And I'll just speak personally because it made me think of some things as I was reading what you had written about that, you know, like when I was a kid, I was, I think the polite term was husky. And so I wasn't getting stuff from my parents, but I was getting stuff from school a little bit that, it, that has affected the way I eat and take care of myself my entire life, right? So like I'm a big runner, I've run a bunch of marathons. I run marathons for a lot of different reasons, but I have joked about like, oh, I run marathons because I'm basically running away from that 12-year-old husky kid. I, I know that's part of it. And I'm still not totally c clear on that. I guess my point is that, you know, you have to be really careful about projecting and, and let me know if this is making sense, what I say, is that I think you have to be very careful about projecting your own sort of eating issues because as you said like everyone grapples with this a little bit and is the reason maybe you go to a specialist like you're saying is that it sounds kind of complicated and part of why I've stayed away and probably have made slips based on my own biases and my own sort of issues with the eating yeah and I I also think you know from a personal perspective um, on my part, you know I I was a ballet dancer I was a professional ballet dancer so talk about body issues, that is just built mm. into that profession. Nobody, uh, nobody comes out of that unscathed in terms of body image. And, you know, one of the things that I struggled with, particularly with my daughter, as she was growing up, was the fact that her body type was not my body type. And then, uh, sadly, I had a pediatrician who you know, basically poured gasoline all over it and lit a match. Um, because when she was about three, I guess, or maybe four, he said, you know, well, she's a little chunky. And that just set everything on fire for me. So it's like, what do I do? What do I do? And, and he gave very poor advice. Um, he said, well, you know, carrot sticks and celery sticks are, you know, a good food to give to her. So I made the mistake of restricting her food, which led to a huge problem when she was in elementary school. And fortunately, we worked it out. Mm. But it's it's hard not to, if we haven't done our own embodiment work, as you say, Amy, it's hard not to react when somebody touches on uh, a subject that is, that we don't even know we're carrying around this, this you know, weight uh, this burden of, you know, societal imagery and that kind of thing. So, you know, kind of my initial question to you about like, what can parents do from the get-go in terms of setting the stage in appropriate, way, in appropriate ways? And maybe what I'm hearing you saying is that the parents, 
it, it, the, the minute that it becomes apparent that the parent has a problem, that they should be seeking help so that they, they don't react to their child. Is that kind of what, part of what you're saying? I think ideally, yes. Ideally, yes. And I also acknowledge this mm. is really hard work, right? And even when you have done embodiment work, even when you have done your own work around this, it's still there. It's so pervasive. And so it's really hard, sensitive, deep work. And so that's why I always suggest seeking mm. support because then you'll have somebody to support you in this, in this work. You know, very practical things that people can do is like, I would say don't talk about anybody's weight. I mean, one, one thing that's showing up in the media now are, are larger bodies and advertise, advertisements. Larger bodies, there's more diversity. Mm. Right. Yeah. And and I watch how people react to that. Right. Right. You know, mm, it's mm -hmm. like, I mean, it, it can be like a grunt or like a looking away or right. It's like all of that needs to be checked. Right. How do you talk about right? It's like this time of year, everybody. There's New Year's resolutions. Everybody's talking about right, like sort of undoing what they did over the holidays or. Like, how do you relate to your own body? How do you relate to your own weight? What are you communicating to your kids right. through that? You know, how are we all like, right? it's like we take a picture of our family and it all, you know, it has to look Instagram perfect. It's like include the right. pictures where you don't look perfect, where you have a funny facial expression or your hair's right. all messed up. <laughs> you know, there's, there's yeah. very practical things that, that we can do. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. You know, another thought that just occurred to me is, I've certainly had parents who, you know, are pretty thoughtful about, you know, where they've come from in terms of their body images and, you know, and their eating and this kind of thing and have done the work. And then we have society, you know, we have the photoshopped models, we have the as Greg mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we have, you know, TikTok, we have Instagram, we have, you know, all of the various things where kids are seeing that there are these bodies that are idealized by society. And how does, how does one combat, yeah. combat that? Yeah. As a parent. Yeah. I think that I think that we balance it out. I think mm -hmm. so much, there's so much influence at home, right? So, you know, it, it can be as simple as like sitting on a park bench in Central Park and objectively, objectively looking at everybody mm -hmm. who walks by, right? So that you get a representation of the, the real world rather than the imagery, the, the imagery that we see in media. Talking about it, talking about what goes in to those picture perfect right. images. What happens behind the scenes? And, and, you know, you can, you can, on YouTube, you can see there's videos of like the transformation of somebody mm -hmm. from like what they look ordinarily to what they look in an image, mm. look like in an image. Having conversations about no matter what we look like, we deserve mm. love and belonging. Yeah. Right? Like every human being is a human being who like feels and loves and contributes and, you know, who is loved and deserves love. Why does, why does, you know, if, if they look old or they look large or they're too short or they, you know, why do we size them up so quickly? 
I remember years ago, I, I saw uh, an image on the internet of athletes, everything from a sumo wrestler, so, you know, picture that in your head, all the way to a gymnast, two very different body types, both superior athletes and everything in between. And I thought, oh, that's kind of good, that it's how we use our bodies. It's not what our bodies mm. look like, but the fact that they are healthy, mm. athletic miracles, as Amy said, I think it was, a, was such a great point at the beginning, you know, that, that it, the body is a, a miraculous piece of work, right? So what it subjectively looks like really shouldn't be of concern, um, even though it, it well, is. Well, I wonder if... yeah. I mean, I agree with all that, and I understand the idea of loving yourself as you are. And I think that's and and all of this stuff that we talk about it, especially with weight, it's very complex. It seems like there's a lot of different threads to this. But coming off of what Julie just said, I guess my question would be: Is I understand this idea of helping your child who might be struggling. I love this idea about embodiment and loving yourself for who you are. There's all different body types. But Amy, what if you have a child that says, you know what, that's all true, and I would still like to lose some weight, right? I'd still like to lose some weight. I'll feel better. I, I would like to lose some weight. I, I, I get that, and but I'm not comfortable with myself, and I'd like to like to do that. I guess my question is, is there a situation where that's okay? And what do you do as the parent if your child does say like, hey, I do love myself. I don't really like the way my, I look. I mean, whether it's a 12-year-old, a 25-year-old, I mean, I, obviously that changes too because if it's a six-year-old, it's different. So I'm sure it depends on the age, obviously. But in general, what if a child does say that? What if a child is saying that? Is there a healthy way to deal with that or no? Well, you know, at, at the end of the day, like I, I think that we want to feel good in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Right. We want to feel good in our bodies. And and that's like a loaded question. Right. How do we feel in our bodies? It's like I would ask why. Like, what mm. what do you feel like you will have or your life will be mm. if you lose weight? Right. Right. And, and the answer to that will give you a lot of information. I think that's mm -hmm. great. I mean, Julie, I'm sure I always think about you saying, be curious, be curious, tell me more. And that seems like a great yeah. place to start. Amy is like. And then like you're saying, I guess what you're saying is, is then you can get a framework about why this is going on. And then maybe it does come from, it does come from potentially an unhealthy place. And maybe you find out, oh, it's because all the kids are teasing them at school or, you know, because I saw this, this dancer I follow on TikTok. I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that, Julie? Well, you know, just again, kind of from personal experience and, you know, I'm lucky that my daughter doesn't mind my talking about her <laughs> in this podcast. Be because that fire got lit by the pediatrician, you know, I mean, I was already, um, you know, primed and ready to receive information that my child wasn't perfect and that I should do something about it. But, you know, it got to a point where she said... Uh, she was saying on a regular basis to me, I'm fat, I'm fat, mm. I'm fat, I'm fat. And I kept saying, you know, it sounds like you're feeling fat today. Um, and or, and, and this was, you know, wrong, saying you're not fat, you're beautiful. 
And what I discovered kind of at the end of the day there, and when things really shifted for her and for me, was that I said that that I realized I was denying her feelings. I was denying her reality, mm. you know, and that that wasn't good either. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. want her to think of herself as fat or I didn't want her to objectify her body or, or you know, look at it with with disdain. So it came from a good place. But but at the end of the day, we have to validate how our kids feel. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like... So I remember. Like, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it feels like, That's you okay. know, is the idea that, you know, she's saying, I'm fat, I don't feel good. And you're going, not you specifically, but the parent is going... Love yourself. Let you're beautiful as you are. And that's true. But I mean, if the child is like, I don't feel that way. I'm sad. I'm unhappy. I'm not comfortable. You yeah. know, I guess then well, that was the sir, question that was you, me, Greg. <laughs> and then that was you, me. I, I would ask both of I you was. then. It, it, I guess. And that was that's kind of my question. Then if you're in that situation, you know, that's that's tough. Like, what do you do? Like, Julie, what did you eventually do? And what can you do in a healthy way where it's it's not about like this is how you lose weight or now we restrict eating, you know, Amy and Julie, like what do you do as opposed to just saying, I know you're upset and unhappy with yourself, but love yourself and all bodies are equal and it's okay. If, if What do you do? Yeah, well, I'll answer. And Amy, you can tell me if I was right or wrong. <laughs> um, I What I ultimately did is I said, I mean, this had been going on for, you know, quite some time. And I, I finally had that, the awakening that I was denying her reality. And so what I said to her was, it sounds like what you're saying is that you feel different and your body feels different to you than the, than your peers, than what your peers bodies look like. And she burst into tears and said, that's exactly right. And I said, look, I think, I think you look beautiful. I think you, you know, you're healthy. You're, you know, she was already a runner, um, you know, so an athlete. And I said, and if you want somebody to talk to you about it, you know, I can find somebody. And what I did was I found somebody who's, um, who still does this work and is quite amazing. She's a very whole body minded counselor. And so she, her goal wasn't to help Emily lose weight, Mm. even though that ultimately happened. Her goal was to create mindful eating Mm. so that, so that Emily thought about, well, what does she really want to eat? And what does she not want to eat? And is she really hungry? And all of that kind of mindfulness that I had completely destroyed unintentionally, Mm. um, you know, in, in the, in, in the, fracas that occurred after the the pediatrician told me and I, you know, I started running that race pretty quickly and it was bad. So I don't know if that was right or wrong, Amy, but I do know that it led to my, I mean, my, my daughter, you know, has an incredible body image. I mean, she feels so good about her body and loves the way it functions. She's an athlete. She runs marathons for the fun of it which mm-hmm. I've never understood, um, <laughs> not the marathon part, but she doesn't run them to lose weight. She runs them because they, it makes her feel healthy. Mm. Um, so I don't know, Amy, what, what, do, what is your thought about all of that? No, I think that's exactly right. I think that, right, when I, when I talk about embodiment, 
and feeling good in your body, it does have, it, it has to do with eating intuitively, eating mindfully, mm. checking in with yourself, right? Because, because if you're in tune with your body, you're not going to overeat. Maybe sometimes if you're like at a party or with people or, you know, traveling where, you know, things are just so delicious, but not, not on balance. You're not going to overeat and you're not going to undereat. You're not going to overexercise. You're not going to underexercise. You're going to just follow the cues from your body, which are always in the direction of health mm. and equilibrium. Mm-hmm. And right. so, so that's, you know, if we talk about prevention, that's what we want to foster. If we talk about recovery, that's the direction that we want to go in. Mm-hmm. And and so I would say, if you're looking for a nutritionist for your child, like you, you have to find somebody who's eating disorder informed because otherwise yeah. you're going to find somebody who in some way is you know aligned with diet culture or weight loss or... Mm-hmm. Can I just ask, when you say find a nutritious, nutritionist that is eating disorder informed, does that mean they're they're a therapist as well, or do you find a therapist? Because I'd also, to me, this is connected to eating disorders, and also what Julie brought up a little bit about her daughter is that your literal eating is often combined with an emotional, psychological state. So, I mean, this is kind of basic, but eating disorders can be tied to all sorts of trauma. That if you work through with a therapist, that eating disorder could potentially fall away. So. If you have a parent go see a nutritionist, if say the child is obese in an unhealthy way, is that nutritionist offering psychological help as well? Or should the parent find a therapist as well? What do you mean when you say a nutritionist that is uh, specializes in an eating disorder? I would say when, when you're working with eating disorders, then the best approach is to have a team. Because nutritionists, you know, their body of knowledge, their license, all of that is, is around f- feeding, eating. It's more, um, you know, nutrition. Therapists deal with emotions. And I agree that eating disorders are a way to quell feelings. They're a way to cope. They're, they're a way to cope with a difficult life. And so there's a lot of emotional work that goes with unwinding food issues. And then there, there, there can be a medical piece as well. And, and therapists who are eating disorder informed often know doctors who are eating disorder informed and nutritionists who are eating defo- disorder informed. It's a, whole, it's a whole specialty. I mean, because it's so delicate as opposed to someone who just wants to learn about eating more healthy would go to a nutritionist. But they have, they have a deeper understanding of a relationship to say someone who's like bulimic or anorexic. Is that what you mean? Well, there's, right, there's emotional and medical and eating complications, like nuances with, with every form of an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, as you experienced, Julie, the medical community cause a lot of harm yeah. when it comes to people in their bodies and um, are very insensitive to weight struggles mm. and, you know, can be blind to it. And so, so I, I always say the best bet is to find is to find a therapist who's eating disorder informed, and they can they can help assess the situation, bring in you know medical professionals, nutrition as needed. Right. Not everybody needs um, a whole team. Right. Mm-hmm. You sort of assess the situation as it comes. Right. 
You know, I think too that there are some kind of you know not sir uh, uh, I'm 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 certainly um, sensitive to the fact that not everybody can afford to mm. bring right. in a therapist or a team of people to help when when this kind of thing. I do think there there are some kind of common do's and don'ts, you know, common sense do's and don'ts that parents can follow. Um, you know, one of the do's and don'ts um, that I often talk to parents about is the idea that if you've got what we call a picky eater, a child who's, you know, particular about the kinds of food that they eat, parents, regardless of weight, parents will often chase that child with food. Here, eat this, here, eat this, here, eat this. And they push it on the kid. And that mm. creates a, a um, more intense, uh, a, 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 a re-intensification of the response that they're already getting, which is that I, I don't want that. I don't want that. So chasing a picky eater is always a don't. And the other, the other end of the spectrum is if you've got a hearty eater, and hearty eaters, parents tend to withdraw food from and mm. restrict food from. And of course, that makes the child feel deprived, and, and then they go after the food. So, I, you know, I'm often in the position of telling parents that what we need to do is trust our kids. And, and I learned all of this through every mistake I made. Mm. Trust our kids that they that they will listen to their bodies and encourage them to listen to their bodies, and I think we do that when we when we have um, a division of responsibility in the family with regard to food. So as parents, it's our responsibility to make the food, get it on the table at an appropriate time. And make sure that there's, you know, make sure that there's at least one thing your kid, you know, your kid will eat on the table mm -hmm. and to, to present it attractively because food is a multi-sensory experience. It's, it's something we experience with all five of our senses. So put it on, that's our responsibility and put it on in a timely fashion when your kids are going to be hungry. Mm. Um, but it's our children's responsibility really to decide what they eat or even if they want to eat and that they, you know, if they're not hungry right then, they can always, you know, pull something out of the fridge later. Or you can pull something out of the fridge. And I don't, you know, people are like, well, I don't want to be a short order cook. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that pushing food on kids creates picky eaters and withdrawing food from kids often creates hearty eaters, you know, the, you know, those, that kind of division, kids who eat too little or kids who eat too much. So I don't know what you think about that, Amy, but you know, that's kind of. I think that's right. I think that's right. And I'll add to what happens in being mindful about what happens around meals. Like what's the mm -hmm. tone of the meal? Mm. Yeah. You know, we want to create an environment where we're like breaking bread together. Eating can be sort of like a communal experience. Is it a time where we unpack the stressors of our day or we confront our children, right? Yeah. So, so that really matters also. Like what, yeah. are, we, are we eating together? Is it, is it light? Is it fun? Is it something that you know, mm. your kid is gonna grow up having fond memories of? Is it a time of conflict? Mm. Mm -hmm. you know? 
Yeah, for sure. If we stay on these do's and don'ts, which I think are great, um, Amy, can you talk, and maybe this is obvious, but it's not, I, I get why it's obviously not great, but could you maybe either of you could talk a little more, little deeper about this idea that you don't put your child on a diet? Like, even if the kid is saying, like, I want to lose weight, why don't you put your, your, you know, why? Why don't you put your child on a diet, Amy? Well, first of all, diet, like time and time and time again, diets have empirically been proven to not work. Right. Like, no, we, you know, it's like. In, yeah. in, in the temporary, but they never are sustainable. Never, never. They, never. Are, they right. actually cause problems. And I mean, if you think about it physiologically, when you lose weight quickly, it changes your hormones. It changes your metabolism. Like your body like literally becomes hungry. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you're actually like messing with yourself. You're, you're like the equilibrium of your body is off. And because of the restriction. Because of the restriction. You know, mm-hmm. you're depriving yourself of, of things that your body needs. And I would say the emotional piece is that it's ultimately very self-rejecting. And so. What is that? What do you mean when you say that? It's very self-rejecting. You know, there's this attitude of like, I, like I am bad. I need to change it oh, into something okay. that's good or more mm-hmm. appropriate. Right. Mm. And so, it, you know, there's there's often little compassion when it comes to dieting. Right. Yeah, you're hard mm-hmm. on yourself. It's punishment. It's in punishment. A way. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, right. And then you do that to a kid. You know, you can imagine the messages that you're sending mm-hmm. and or supporting if it's if, if it's initiated by them. But diets are by nature. It's deprivation. And what if you and Julie, I want to I really want to hear what you have to say about that. But I just I want to ask, like, let's say you have a teenager that's 15 or 16. So they have some independence and you see that they are restricting that they are dieting. If you're a parent in that situation and you're concerned, what do you do? I mean, I, I, you, you really have to, to, to look at your kid. I mean, I, I, the, the whys are always very important. Like, mm-hmm. Why are you doing the curiosity? this? Mm-hmm curiosity. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and in truth, I think people can understand that like eating too much numbs you, you know, like eating too much numbs feelings. It sedates us, you know, mm-hmm. we get sleepy. Mm-hmm. Under eating can do the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. When, when, when teenagers under eat, their hormones are suppressed. Mm-hmm. They don't feel as much, you know, it's like, the, it's like this turning your body off. And so it, it sort of has the same effect and, and it mm. can feel really good, you know? Right, right. No, it's it like you, you're less emotional. You're less volatile. You're, you get all this positive feedback from the world. Right, right. right. It feels mm-hmm. great. You can like fit into all of these clothes. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so it feels really great, but you're doing da- like you're doing damage that's, mm-hmm. and it's not sustainable and it's not really right? It's like, it's not living like a whole healthy life. And so I think that rather than putting kids on diets, you want to move the whole family to eating in a way that's healthier on balance, right? right? And not singling out one kid, right? Right. Like, oh, this is all of the food, but like Johnny can only eat these things (laughs) and everyone else can eat these things. Or like, we're all eating in a certain way, and then like, dad comes home with a cheeseburger, but like you're not allowed to have that. Only dad's allowed to have that. Right. Right. Well, and it's tricky. I mean, we have uh, three kids, and they all 
they all eat totally different. Totally different, yeah. And so I guess you would say, which is which is which is good, right? I mean, I think that it's should be expected that everyone eats the same. No, but I think your point is you have to stay open to that too. So it's not like this is the way we eat. I don't know, Julie. Can you speak a little bit about diets and you know anything that you thought of while Laimi was talking about that stuff? The healthy eating habits you put in place of that, and why why you don't put your kid on a diet? Well, one of the things that when I was kind of yeah, I I completely agree with Amy. Don't ever put your child on a diet. Don't ever put yourself on a diet. Diets don't work. Diets are bad. You can change your diet, right? But you shouldn't diet. If that makes sense, you can. You know, it's okay to like eat more vegetables and you know put that. You know, if, if that's not something that you've routinely done, but that's not dieting. Dieting is really restrictive. Um, you know, restricting calories, restricting fat, uh, all of which, you know, everything, you know, calories are needed for energy. Fat is needed for brain development. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I agree with Amy a hundred percent on, on, you know, never, never dieting or, or putting your kid on a diet. What, one of the things that I, when I was researching this heavily, because I realized I was making every mistake you could possibly make in the book when I was raising my daughter. I read some some of um, Ellen Satter's work. And one of the things that she said, um, and she's a psychotherapist and a nutritionist. Um, and one of the things that she said was, and this kind of harkens back to what Amy was saying a little bit before about like what happens at mealtime and Ellen Satter's recommendation, and I think it's quite brilliant, is that you ser- serve all the food on platters at the family, at the dinner table. Everybody sits down. You pass the food around. You can take some if you want it. You don't have to take it if you don't want it. You can take as much as you want so that the the food doesn't have that weighted quality that Amy was talking about. Oh, dad gets a hamburger. No, if hamburgers are being served, hamburgers are being served. And it's set on a platter and anybody who wants a hamburger can have a hamburger. And 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 it equalizes, I think, food in some way. Another another component of that that I think is another, you know, do's and don'ts. I I don't believe in setting dessert aside as some, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. If you're going to serve dessert, whether it's ice cream or whatever, put it out with the rest of the food. Because otherwise, they have to get through certain foods, which we call healthy foods, right? They have to get through. It's a chore then to get through the healthy food so that they can get to the food they like, which is actually the less nutritious food. So I think normalizing eating as a family, normalizing the variety of foods that you have to choose from and creating an equality, you know, all foods are food. I mean, yes, arguably, you know, ice cream isn't probably as nutritionally valuable to you as uh, broccoli. But if we label it as this kind of reward that you only get for eating the stuff that your parents are labeling as healthy, then of course, all they're going to want is the reward. It's going to cause them to crave that reward. 
Amy, can you speak to any of that and and what parents can keep in mind in terms of creating what environment you're creating at, say, the mealtime? I mean, you've already touched on, which I think is great, is that emotional component of, you know, what's going on at mealtime. But what are there things that you offer up to parents sometimes in terms of how to what you might do at, at mealtime? Well, I, I, I completely agree with everything that Julie just said. I think that it's very... Um it's good to sort of like equalize foods and to not, you know, and again, it's like helping your kids tune in. You know, you eat a Snickers bar. How does it make you feel? Mm-hmm. You, know, you mm-hmm. eat too much ice cream. How does it make you feel? Mm-hmm. And, and helping kids understand that, you know, I, I, I think I talked to Julie about this, but my daughter who's seven, I started putting, she, she has ice cream. Like she loves ice cream. So, Rather Me than too. Having it at the, Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> rather than having it at the end of the meal, like I, I found that she was racing through dinner. Oh, oh, wow. To get to the ice cream. And so wow. we started putting it on the table. And it's the first thing she eats. But then she eats more and more in a more balanced way, having the ice cream out of the way because she's wow. not racing to it. Right. It's like then she can sort of settle in to the meal. You know, yeah. which was it's so counterintuitive to what well, we're taught. It's, it's totally that's totally counterintuitive. But I like this idea of like you do have to think out of the box a little bit. And it seems like if you're in tune, what you're noticing is like that's actually a benefit to her because right now she's not even digesting the food because she's racing to get to the ice cream. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. the, isn't that the bigger idea that you stay you mm-hmm. have to stay open, intuitive to what's going on with each individual? kid yeah i think that's right right yeah and you know and the the um you know another aspect of racing through your food to get to the reward um is that you're not giving your body enough time to decide if it's still hungry or not exactly you know Mm. because you're just piling it in and by the time you feel full you're overly full. I think it's a phenomenon that a lot of people experience at Thanksgiving. A lot of people, not just kids, but you know, it all looks so good. We put a lot on the plate. We eat quickly because we're hungry because we kind of mm. didn't eat too much earlier because we were anticipating this big meal. And then by the end, we're all feeling bloated and sluggish and gross because we haven't been mindful in the process of moving through that plate of food. Hi, it's Greg. Please make sure you join us for our next episode, where we'll have part two of our conversation with Amy Bernstein, as we continue discussing the challenges that arise when dealing with the issues around our kids and food. Thanks for listening to the Parenting Horizons podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with your family and friends. And if you'd like to hear more about Julie's work, join one of her parenting groups, or see about individual counseling, please visit ParentingHorizons.com. Or you can email Julie at julie.ross at parentinghorizons.com. See you next time.